Thank you so much. What a, what a wonderful song, and it, it fits so perfectly with your ministry there, uh, bringing the Word of God to others. If you have your Bible, I want to have you turn to a couple passages of Scripture. We're going to look tonight at what the Bible has to say about our relationship with Him, as well as what baptism is all about. Uh, if you turn to the book of John, the Gospel of John, in your Bible, there's a Bible in front of you in one of the chairs if you don't have one. And if you uh, don't own a Bible, at the back of the, uh, back of the auditorium, there, is a, there are some Bibles that are for you to take as a gift. I want to just speak briefly here for a few moments uh, because we are having a baptismal service tonight. And uh, baptism services are a real special thing because what baptism is, what it represents, what it means, needs to be understood by everybody. And a lot of us, like so many things, we have memories or we have ideas about stuff that's just built in from the past. We have uh, gathered things that we think are true because things have either been told to us a certain way or we just have assumed that uh, to be the case. And so we want to look at God's Word today and see what things God's Word says about, number one, how we can have a right relationship with Him, that is how we can be saved and justified, And two, what does baptism represent and what does it mean? So look at John chapter 3. Jesus is here in John chapter 3. I'm sorry if I uh, misspoke earlier. John 3. And Jesus is speaking to uh, a man named Nicodemus. And here while he's speaking to to Nicodemus in um, verse 9, I'm sorry, in verse 5, Jesus says, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit... He cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from or where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. And Jesus speaking here speaks to this man who who is a wise man in Israel, and he has a lot of knowledge, but he doesn't understand that there are two births that must be, must, we must have if we are going to enter the kingdom of God. There is the first birth, the natural birth that we must all have. I mean, if you're here today, you were born. That is a wonderful thing. And, and to think about the fact that we are born, we are physically here is important. But this more than that is required. He says you must be born of the Spirit. And what does that all involve? It involves believing in Christ. In fact, he, he says as much, if you go down to verse 14, he says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up. And then in verse 15, that whoever believes in him, believes in the Son, should not perish or die but have eternal life. Here is the promise of the kingdom of heaven. Here is the promise of eternal life, that by believing in the one who is lifted up, you may have eternal life. And then the most famous verse that probably is in the entire Bible is next. And it explains why this is the case. When you see the word for, it's an explanation phrase. And he says, for God so loved the world. And when he says so loved, he means he loved the world and he demonstrated it in this way. How did God love the world? God loves the world. He made the world. He loves the people in the world because we are made in his image. God made you to have a relationship with him. Did you know that God loves you and God made you to have a relationship with him? And from the very beginning, God's intention was for you to have fellowship with him. God wants you to be in a right relationship with him because he loves you. 
and he cares about you. For God loved the world in this way. He so loved the world that he gave. This is the, in, the connection to love. Love is connected to giving. He gave his only begotten or his one and only son. That is Jesus Christ. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Sin has broken that relationship. Look at verse 18. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is what? Is condemned already. We all stand condemned already before God because of our sin. And if we do not believe in Christ, if we do not believe, as John 3, 16 says, our sin will be paid for and we will pay for it. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. This is not just a limited class of people. It's not a limited race of people. It's not just America. It's people in Asia. It's people in Africa. It's people in South America. It's people in, uh, even in Canada, there are people up there who need to get saved, right? People all over the world. People need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's, it's a gift. Notice the phrase here that, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes we receive this gift by faith, just like we receive every gift, every gift we have. And we don't pay for that gift, we receive that gift. And, and so many people think of salvation, they think of their need to be saved, they think of going to heaven as a matter of working a job. They think if I'm good on earth, then I'll be getting a reward in heaven. They think it's a payment for what I've done here, that if as long as I'm good here, I'll, I'll receive a reward up there. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says eternal life is a gift from God. We must recognize this when we talk about salvation. The second thing I want you to notice about salvation is is in the book of Romans. So if you turn to Romans, I have several verses I want us to look at here. Romans 6 and verse 23 tells us a terrible, terrible truth. As as I mentioned in John chapter 3, that he who does not believe is condemned already. You don't have to do anything to get condemned. You stand condemned. That we stand judged as those who do not believe in Christ, if you are not one who does not believe in Christ. Romans 6, 23 says, the wages of sin, the payment for sin is what? Is death. It's not a slap on the wrist. It's not a minor thing. It's a serious thing. And we downplay sin. We say, I don't think sin's a big deal. Well, God thinks it's a big deal. And God tells us that the wages of sin is death. The penalty of sin is death. But there's a second half to that verse that gives us the good news. But the gift of God is what? Eternal life. It's the same everlasting life, eternal life we talked about in John 3, 16. And this eternal life is not through our own working. It's not through a church building. It's not even through the waters of baptism. It is through one person only, and that is through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's the gift of of God through Christ Jesus our Lord. This is how we receive the gift of salvation. We need this gift because Romans 3.23 tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every one of us finds ourselves judged and guilty. We need righteousness accounted to us. Turn to Romans 4, just back a couple chapters. And in Romans 4, we desperately need this accounting. We are in debt into our sin And in Romans chapter 4 and verse 5, it tells us, But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is, here's our word, accounted for righteousness. We can have righteousness accounted to our account, put to our account, given to us freely if we believe and not work. Because we work is to receive a wage, to believe is to receive a gift. So what is baptism then? What is baptism? Baptism is 
obedience, first of all. It's obedience. It's to follow the Lord's teaching in the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28. I know I have a, a bunch of different verses here for you. If you want to follow along, you can. I'll read them out loud. You can listen if you'd like. But in Matthew chapter 28, Jesus gives the Great Commission. Matthew 28, verse 19 and 20. Speaking to his disciples, Jesus said, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things I commanded you. Lo, I am with you always. Baptizing people is obedience. It's to follow the Lord's teaching. Why do we do this? Because we're obeying Jesus. We didn't come up with this. We didn't have a meeting where we all sat around and said, you know what would be really fun? Is if we got in the water and splashed around a little. That's not what we're doing. We didn't make a decision to just do this one day. This is our teaching from the Lord. And further, why do we have a baptistry? Why not do it at some churches? You may have been to a church. You may have seen someone who was baptized. Maybe you, many in this church, grew up being baptized as a child. But you weren't baptized in this sense. There was no baptistry there. In fact, the word baptized is a funny little word because it's, it's not really an English word. It's a Greek word. In fact, I can teach you a Greek word for baptize. You ready? It's the word baptizo. It's literally the word baptize, just with an O on the end, because that's how they do their vowels. The word baptize in Greek is baptize. Because what happened was, is when they go to translate the Bible, speaking of translation, there are many different ways you can translate this word, but it mostly involves the idea of enveloping or surrounding or immersing. And when they got to this word, there's a problem is that a lot of churches, a lot of people in power didn't like, this is my perspective, I don't know if this is written down anywhere, but it's much easier to just translate or to transliterate baptize than to actually write it as to immerse or to envelop. And so often we have this word in our language today, baptize, which just means to immerse. And if you look at the stories in the, in the book of Acts, you see over and over again, which we'll see in a second, immersion or going under was involved. This is not a sprinkling of a little bit of water on the top of your head. This is a complete enveloping, especially because baptism is not only obedience, it's a sign. Baptism doesn't save any more than my wedding ring makes me married. I give this illustration to almost anybody I talk to when we talk about baptism. I can wear a wedding ring without being married. You can. You can get a wedding ring and you can wear it. Does it make you married? No, I think. Right? Are we all on the same page? If you, I had a lot of people looking at me like, where are you going with this? I'm not sure. I can wear a wedding ring. I'm, I am, let me start this way. I am married. I have a wedding ring. If I take the wedding ring off, am I still married? Yes. If I am not myself, if I'm someone else who is not yet married and I put on a wedding ring, does that make me married? No. What does a wedding ring do? It symbolizes, it demonstrates to other people the reality of the truth that I am married. It gives a, it gives a symbol, a visual representation of something that is, that is not seen obviously. I cannot look at your heart and see if you're saved or not. There is no, when you get saved, you don't all of a sudden have a halo around your head. You, there, is a, there is a need to demonstrate this faith outwardly. Baptism does not save you. It demonstrates what's happened inside of you because it is a sign. It identifies us with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. If you're still in the book of Romans, you can turn to Romans 6. And this is the first picture of baptism. Romans chapter 6. Jesus said, or Paul writing in Romans to the Roman people, is speaking about their identity with Christ, the fact that when you're saved, you should not consider yourself like you used to consider yourself. You should see yourself as united with Jesus. He says in verse 3, do you not know, this means you should know this, 
that as many as us as were baptized into Christ Jesus are baptized into his death. Therefore, as we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we should walk in newness of life. In Colossians 2.12, the Bible says, buried with him in baptism in which you were raised with him through faith and the working of God who raised him from the dead. Baptism signifies the resurrection. When you go under the water, you go completely under the water, it's like the burial. And when you come out of the water, it's like the resurrection. It's meant to signify, to symbolize the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. We're united with Christ, that we die to self and we are risen again, that one day you too, your body will rise. The Bible says, if you're a believer in Christ, that you'll be raised to Christ, you will be raised incorruptible. And there will be a resurrection of the just and the unjust. There will be a resurrection of the dead. The Bible describes this clearly. But do you know that this day is coming? This day is coming, and baptism represents this. Baptism also signifies cleansing and new life. The water is a cleansing agent. You know, you, you wash your hands, you wash your body in water. We're often said that when we're forgiven in sin, we are cleansed, we are clean. The water is like a burial, and when we come out, we have new life, we are clean, we are new. Now, this, this water is symbolic. This water represents, it does not actually cleanse you. If you are guilty, if you are not saved, and you get baptized, you are a wet sinner. And if you are saved and you're not yet baptized, you're a disobedient believer. And so we need to be believers who obey Christ and take that first step of following him. And that's my last point here tonight is that believers, baptism is for believers. The Great Commission teaches us that there is a pattern of salvation, baptism, joining the church. There's a pattern in the Bible. I want you to look at some of these patterns. If you have your Bible, book of Acts, we're going to see these one after the other for a few minutes, and then we will get ready for the baptism itself. Acts chapter 2. We'll begin in chapter 2. This is important. As I mentioned, a lot of people, let me just give you a somewhat normal scenario. We're sitting in my office, and I'm talking with a person who's new to the church. I ask them their salvation testimony. I say, how, or maybe we're sitting across at lunch. I say, how did you come to know the Lord? And they say, well, I got saved, and I was about 14 years old at a crusade. I heard the gospel. I went down, and I trusted Christ as my Savior. And I say, were you baptized? And they say, well, I was baptized when I was eight days old in the first whatever church in such and such county. And the, the problem is that what you'll find is that, scripturally speaking, that pattern is out of whack. Because the Bible does not ever condone baptizing unbelievers. The Bible speaks to baptizing those who have believed in Jesus Christ. And friends, I don't know if you've ever met a two-week-old or whatever, but they don't know Jesus yet. And they really don't know Christ at about two o'clock in the afternoon when it's nap time. Like, it is, it is bad, right? And you know that their life has not yet been transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. They are still, they are still sinner, they are sinners, and baptism itself does, is only for believers. Look at these verses, Acts chapter 2, verse 41. Or let's go back to verse 40. And, and with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who, notice the pattern, those who gla- were gladly received his word were baptized. 
They had those who received the word. They believed and they were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 souls were added. We have receiving the truth, believing, being baptized, and then joining the church in that order. And that's so important. So the person I meet with in my office or I meet for lunch, we talk about it. And I say, you have to under, are, have you been biblically baptized? And I challenge them, go through the Bible and look up, look up the examples of baptism and when baptism happens. And every time we've had this conversation, someone looks at the scripture, they will notice this fact, what I'm going to show you now. Acts chapter 8. Look at Acts chapter 8. We have the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. In Acts chapter 8. Before we get to the story of the Ethiopian eunuch, there's actually in Acts chapter 8, verse 12, uh, Philip preaching here. It says, but when, verse 12, when they, this is the, uh, the sorcerer, Simon the sorcerer, when they believed Philip as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were what? Baptized. They believed and were baptized. If you, my Bible, I turn the page to the preaching to the Ethiopian eunuch, and starting in verse 26. If you look down to verse 36, the eunuch um, is speaking to, to him. Yeah, Philip opens his mouth in verse 35, preaches Jesus. In verse 36, they went down the road, came to some water, and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Once again, every indication, this is immersion, they have to go to where there's a pool of water so they can get baptized. Otherwise, they could have taken a water bottle and done the job, right? I'm not trying to be too, too casual here, but this is very important, that, that the mode of baptism represents what's happening. And he was baptized there, and he said, uh, uh, do you believe? And he says, yes, I believe. And they went down into the water in verse 38, and, and they were baptized. He baptized him. Skip forward to chapter 10 in verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these things, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished. As many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out upon the Gentiles also, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter answered, Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? Did they receive the Holy Spirit before or after their baptism? Before they received the Spirit of God, it was made manifest to all, and then they were baptized. When you're saved, you receive the Spirit of God. And only after that can you be baptized. Acts 18, just two more. Acts 18. Crispus, many of the uh, Corinthians are with Crispus here in chapter 18, and Paul is preaching, and Paul is teaching. And look at me at verse 8. And Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed and were baptized. What's the pattern? Believe and baptism. Lastly, Acts chapter 19 and verse 4, Paul preaching here, here um, speaks and says, John indeed baptized the baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is Christ. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. They believed and were baptized. Tonight we have the opportunity to baptize several who believed in the name of the Lord Jesus as their public profession that they have trusted Christ Jesus as their Savior. And the amazing thing about baptism is a public demonstration of what God has done on the inside of someone's heart, and it's a great testimony. So I'm going to turn the service over to Eric. I'm going to pray, turn the service over to Eric, and those of you who are getting baptized can get ready. 
uh, and then as soon as we're ready, I'll go down to the water. We'll get started. Father, we ask you, Lord, to uh, be magnified in this moment. We're thankful for the Word of God going out, as we heard earlier from the Penningtons, going out all over the world. And we're thankful that we can be a small part of that and through prayer and through some of our gifts. And Lord, I pray that you would help us uh, tonight as we magnify your name through this baptism, that we would give you the praise, honor, and glory, that these folks are buried in the likeness of your death and raised to walk in a new life. Thank you, God, for your love for us and sending Christ to die on the cross for our sins. We pray your blessing on the remainder of our service in Jesus' name. Amen.